Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olson, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. My guest today is Dr. Philip Varkander, senior lecturer at the Division of Fashion Studies at Lund University. So, a few weeks ago I read an article in Dagens Nyheter, Sweden's largest daily, written by Sofia Edgren about how the pandemic has put the fashion industry in a state of crisis. In it, Philip was interviewed talking about how fashion has become unfashionable. I thought this was super fascinating and touched on thoughts I've had myself on the role of fashion in today's society. I'm really happy that Philip agreed to come on and talk about this. In this conversation, Philip talks about how the garment industry has become the biggest environmental culprit the difficulties of bridging the cultural divide between fashion and tech, the rise of clothing as a service, and the challenge of telling his students that fashion is in a state of crisis. Scandinavian Mind Podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Every Wednesday we publish an in-depth interview with an innovator from the worlds of design, fashion, beauty, mobility or tech. And every Friday, we publish a panel talk or other behind-the-scenes content from the world of Scandinavian Mind. I'd like to thank the Helio co-working space for hosting us in their podcast studio. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and clubhouse sessions. Visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter. Here now, my conversation with Dr. Philip Varkander. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here with uh, Dr. Philip Arkander, Assistant Professor of Fashion Studies at Lund University. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Philip, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time uh, on this uh, show, and I think I found uh, the perfect opening, so let's get right into it. There was an article in Dagens Nyheter, the biggest Swedish daily, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, beginning of January, where uh, you basically said right out that fashion is unfashionable, that fashion has is lacking in relevance today. Uh, the article was obviously written in the in the constant context of the pandemic, but I really wanted to to have you explain this a bit further. What did you mean? Oh, it's <laughs> I always get anxious when people ask me to to explain what I mean because uh, some you know how do you know what you mean? But actually, uh, since this article came out, I've been thinking about uh, about it because uh, the feedback has been quite. Uh, Quite strong. I think uh, a lot of people have been thinking about this. Uh, what is exactly the role of fashion in today's society? What does fashion symbolize, and how can we understand fashion in in connection to also other topics or discourses that are that are ongoing? Not least uh, the climate change, for example. Mm. And um, when it comes to this statement that fashion is unfashionable, I think you could divide it into uh, two categories because, of course. 
in, in one aspect, fashion can never go out of fashion because I think fashion is connected to the human experience. It's, it's about uh, expressing yourself. It's about uh, interpreting what you see around you, similar to, to art or literature, uh, song or dance or any one of, of those, um, those creative aesthetic expressions. So in that sense, I would say that fashion is part of the human experience. It's part of uh, what makes us human. It's this... How should I say this desire to uh, to communicate and to uh, to interpret what we see around us and through fashion it's done you know in in textile and garments and so forth. But there's another aspect of fashion and that's the way it's been um, organized as an industry uh, in the last I would say century or maybe 150 years, where of course fashion has been intensely commodified it's been mass produced at a very large scale mm. and this concept this organization which of course is an invention of the 19th century uh, is extremely outdated today because this organization hasn't really been updated to to suit our needs in contemporary society so we're using this extremely outdated, I would say antiquated model of producing and thinking about garments uh, that really doesn't make any sense today when so much is about being local, about being uh, kind to the environment. But at the same time, we have this large scale global fashion industry that, of course, is more or less obsolete, I would say. And this this being obsolete is has that happened recently has there been a gradual development how do you how do you see this i would say it's been a gradual development because we you can if we if we go to the literature on fashion we can see that people started writing about this already in the 1970s they would say that actually uh, the fashion industry is losing its grip when it comes to uh, consumer behavior. Uh, people were uh, started to think and dress more independently, so they wouldn't follow trends uh, that were season-based, but fashion would become more individual. And um, uh, there's, uh, I'm thinking in particular about one theorist called Quentin Bell, who in 1926 uh, wrote this book on human finery, where he... Uh, specifically said that fashion is going out of fashion, and uh, he said you could see it in the in the younger generation. They don't they don't really listen anymore to what the uh, fashion houses in Paris are saying anymore. Mm. And then, of course, in the late 1990s, we had the book The End of Fashion, uh, that said uh, that uh, marketing had more or less made uh, fashion irrelevant. So, of course, this has been something ongoing, a slow shift. But I would say that. Uh, during the uh, during the pandemic, the the Corona pandemic, uh, this has really been accentuated, and now it's more obvious than ever. And and why is it so? I mean, in a way, it's anecdotal. I I, I can see it for myself. Mm. Uh, you can see it in in how. Uh, what people find important during this sort of year of lockdown we've we've been through at various stages globally. Uh, obviously, sort of the home is is doing a renaissance. Anything, fix your home, fix your you know, plant things, rebuild. That's going really well uh, globally. Fashion has fared reasonably well. I think in 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 a few weeks in the beginning, H and M dipped you know eighty ninety percent something like that. But it, it has recovered remarkably, and there's still making a profit which amazes me um in in many ways but so is there data on this or is it more like a, a general uh, sense and feeling that you have 
Uh, well, I would say it's uh, it's both. Uh, there are soft interpretations, and and then there are more hard uh, hard statistics. If we compare the the year 2020 with 2019 in Sweden, we can see that, of course, the sales of garments uh, dropped 18 percent, mm. and uh, for shoes, it was a third percent in drop. And if we compare December 2020 with uh, December 2019, there was a 42 percent drop in uh, in the fashion and garment industry. Uh, but of course, that's pandemic related because fashion is, is a it's a social uh, expression mm. and uh, when people are being self-isolating uh, there's not really a need to to dress up and to communicate um, uh, who you think you are because there's no one ar- around to see you anyway right. but uh, in addition to that there are also of course other statistics that you can point to one is that we have a growing global population uh and that's coupled with the fact that we also have a growing uh, international middle class but at the same time, we still only have one planet. So there was already, how should I say, a lack in resources when it comes to producing new, new garments. And we could see that um, the supply chain of, of fashion was becoming increasingly strained due to these developments. So that meant that there was uh, an actual uh, lack of, um, of um, how should I say, resources to mm. continue to, to supply the, the international middle class with, with new garments. So already there was a need to to reevaluate the role of fashion in a contemporary consumer society, but I think that was accentuated by then what happened during Corona. And how do you define? I mean, you talk about fashion. You 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 know talk about physical things, garments, shoes, accessories, and so forth. Is that fashion, or is is fashion is a is there a bigger de- definition to fashion? Do you think? Yes. Um, so. Uh, shoes, bags, accessories, uh, shirts, uh, all that stuff, all those garments, those are the material manifestations of fashion, so to speak. That's, you know, uh, garments, accessories. Fashion, on the other hand, is is an abstract or symbolic phenomenon. Fashion is defined by its curiosity and how it's always uh, driven towards uh, newness and, and new expressions. And you can actually see fashion in... I would say in almost uh, everything, in architecture, in, in art, in poetry, um, what what was popular before no longer is. And why 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 is that? Why do people's taste change? Uh, why for hundreds of years did uh, painters uh, use uh, color X and then suddenly they changed to, to color Y? Well, the simplest uh, explanation is that People are driven by curiosity. People uh, want to discover new things. That's right. part of the human experience, and that's then something that has been that that need to find new things. That that need for exploration. That human desire. That's what's been uh, turned into uh, commodities in the garment industry. Great. So now we're getting somewhere. This is where I find it super interesting and where I think we we should find a way forward. Because Mm. if we define fashion that way, you define it as curiosity, some other, you know, other people define it as sort of identity, something you express towards Mm. sort of the the people around you or or the world around you. Uh, Could you say that the problem isn't fashion, the problem is garments? The problem is the industry uh, producing these physical things because that's what's harming the 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 globe, right? The, the environment. It's not the the curiosity per se. Yes. Uh, so fashion is this cultural 
expression it's it's about uh, self exploration it's about uh, it's about um, shaping uh, human experience uh, and that will never go away but the fashion industry and the way that this curiosity has been commodified that's mm. what's uh, becoming obsolete due to these uh, restrictions in resources and in how this industry has impacted the environment right so i always come back to and I, on this show i referenced uh, sort of my daughter how she cares to uh, sort of express herself towards her peers mm-hmm. she's 10 years old mm-hmm. she likes to be on roblox and these sort of digital uh, spaces where she actually meets her friends in the form of avatars and when she gets her allowance she wants to buy this digital currency so you can buy so you can buy new uh, digital stuff right mm. is that fashion yes that's fashion wonderful uh, exactly because fashion is not the same as garments fashion is often expressed through garments but it could also be expressed uh, through these online identities and avatars which of course is a huge uh, more or less untapped market at the moment it's untapped in my conversations with the gaming industry and i've only started working on this it's like they they almost don't realize they are part of fashion in that regard they're talking about it as mm. a virtual goods which is a term in gaming they we in you know in real life in in the physical world we would never talk about goods maybe in this form of sort of shipping or or something like that uh goods is sort of sort of general uh un, unsexy uh term i heard an anecdote about one of the growing sort of uh business areas for angry birds is that they're selling hats to these little uh, yeah. the birds that they're you know in, in the games yeah. so the ha- actual hats you can you can buy various you know colors and, and styles and so forth obviously that must be in some way be categorized as fashion because it's yes and uh, this is um i think really key to the to the discussion because what we need is to find of course new business business models new ways of um, of making money that is not harmful to the environment mm. because the the need to express ourselves through fashion will always be there because it's part of the human experience but what needs to change is uh, is the garment industry and this overproduction that we've seen for for a few uh, decades now because it's so uh, cheap to produce garments has there been pushback for from these quotes that you you put out in the, this article has has people reacted well uh, i mean uh, i know that uh, you and i often go to to the same kind of places like pitiomoy flores yeah. or the stockholm fashion weekend and i'm sure that we engage with uh, the same kind of people when, when we're there and for the past i would say five or six years i've had this ongoing conversation with people that say that they can they, they can sense a shift happening in fashion uh, there's a loss of direction and a loss of identity and more or less everyone can feel it but no one really knows where fashion is heading Mm. So I think that uh, a lot of people r- recognize what I said, and I think it resonated with them because I put into words what people have been really talking about, more or less, at also these fashion places for for many years now. That there is something happening. There is a a, a, a need for something, for a new idea of what fashion could be, but uh, it hasn't really been defined yet. Right. So when you speak to people who work in fashion, what do they say? It's funny you should ask because just before I came here, I did this interview with Benazaram, who mm. is the uh, creative director of Women's Hair at the Swedish brand uh, A Day's March, and uh, we were talking about actually exactly this. And she said that she's so bored with fashion and that there is this lack of energy in fashion. Mm. And she said, "What's 
uh, what's interesting in fashion is storytelling and critical thinking. It's not really the trend-driven fashion. She said we really need to to move away from from this trend-driven uh, system where, of course, we change garments not because they're worn out, but because they're no longer in style. Mm. Uh, so she said there's still, of course, this magical dimension to fashion, but it the idea that fashion is needs to change systematically uh, on a season-based uh, uh, way of, organi- of organization that we need to let go of. And that, that, of course, came from one of the most influential people in Swedish fashion today. <laughs> so are there ex- you know, good examples? Are there good initiatives? Are there things happening that you feel is sort of moving in the right direction? Uh, I would say it's taking too long, and I think it's uh, also the, the progress is too slow. You mentioned before this idea of angry birds and hats mm. and this untapped market. And I know that there have been a few attempts from both Swedish brands and also on an international level, but it's been difficult to really translate because people who work in fashion are not, not always high tech and people who work in, in tech are not always um, literate in, in fashion. So there is this cultural uh, divide that's been difficult to bridge. Right. And also, of course, uh, I, I would say that there needs to be this understanding that fashion is not only an industry, but it's also this cultural expression and phenomenon. Also, earlier this week, I spoke with uh, uh, this young uh, Swedish uh, innovator, Elin Kowalska, who started this uh, PopSwap right, uh, app. Right. And of course, it's, it's one of many initiatives where people can uh, can uh, they can update their wardrobe and they can get new garments, but they don't have to buy buy new stuff all the time mm. because they uh, they upload their closets uh, to this app and then they can uh, swap with the people that have the same size or the same preferences and so forth. I had an, an, an interview or discussion with uh, the CEO of Lincoln Co., this sort of new car slash mobility company uh, from Gothenburg. Uh, partly owned or associated with with Volvo, he said something that was interesting, which I think perhaps can apply to fashion as well. He talked about the difference between, you know, being a mobility company and a car company, and he said that he's, he's been working in the car company, car industry for for thirty years, and he said that if uh, if the car industry is not careful, it will only become a supplier to a new type of mobility industry. Mm. So if we see the mobility industry, obviously we see new type of player like Uber or Voy and these type of uh, um, app-based services Mm. where the vehicle is just one part of the transaction, one part of the service, right? I see, I, I kind of can sense something similar to fashion. I don't see it as much. I mean, you mentioned PopSwap. There are a few other examples of this, but nothing at... Uh, the kind of global scale as we've seen in the mobility industry. We see, no. we see like a company like Uber taking over the entire industry. Uh, and I sense that there's, there's an opportunity here and perhaps or, or a real threat in a way to the current system if there is a service like that coming in, uh, doing something completely different that would disrupt the entire industry. If, can you sense this as well? Do you see anything that resembles this? Well, it's it's always uh, difficult. I'm thinking of you know the the, uh, the book on the black swan example mm. that you know uh, you, you plan for something because you know based on on your data everything makes sense and uh, according to to data everything should happen. 
according to you know this dire- going this direction, then suddenly you know this black swan comes out of nowhere, and uh, all of a sudden something else happens. So I would say that we we don't know what it is until we know what it is. Right. And um, I think it's around the corner. I can't really say what it is because at, uh, up until this point, it's been difficult for people to to create the kind of I don't really like this word, but this kind of disruption mm. uh, because when it comes to garments. Uh, it's it's a very intimate uh, item. Yeah. Uh, you wear it on your body. It um, it picks up on your scent, and uh, it's marked by how you live your life and so forth. So it's not really the same as uh, sharing a car with someone or or you know a hotel room. Um, it's it's something much more intimate. But um, and that's I think that's the reason why it's been difficult to to see the same kind of disruption in the garment industry as we've seen in in travel, for example, or hospitality. Right. But uh, as I'm sure that it's around the corner, we can't see it now, but soon enough it will be in our in our um, eye vision. And uh, yeah. Okay. So, professor at fashion studies. Um, saying that fashion is unfashionable and is lacking relevance. What do you say to students? Oh, this has been such a challenge. Uh, uh, and I was really hesitant before I gave this interview. And because I'm, I'm dependent on uh, people applying to to the education, because <laughs> if they don't, uh, then my department is no longer funded and right. then I'm out of a job. So, of course, I need to kind of be a cheerleader of fashion and I need to to repeat this myth that, you know, fashion is at the core of everything and yada, yada. But um, I, at the same time, I felt that there needs to be some kind of honesty and transparency in, in this. And also, even though I'm a scholar of fashion studies, I'm also, of course, at the core of it, a critical thinker. And... Maybe that could be the contribution to to think critically about fashion and to see, all right, if this business model is outdated, if this industry is lacking in relevance, then what kind of new solutions can we develop and can we do together? Right. And maybe the students can be the new generation to to find these solutions that are uh, that I'm blind to, maybe because I'm too old or too comfortable, and I think of fashion in a certain way because I'm you know 43 and I'm I'm <laughs> used to how it's been. Yeah. How long have you been there now? Oh, I, in Lund, I've been there since 2015. Okay, six years. And you were the first one to have the the, the doctor's title in uh, in Sweden, at least. Exactly. Well, actually, internationally, because uh, fashion studies is a Swedish uh, invention, so to, oh, right. so to say. Right. Uh, it was actually funded by uh, the H&M Foundation. And that's why fashion studies was developed as as an independent academic discipline mm. at Stockholm University in 2006. And then in 2013, I became the first to get a doctorate. So coming up on a decade now. So have you seen a shift in the students, the type of people that are, you know, moving into the industry? What what are they looking for? What do they want to do and achieve? And, and what, what are they seeking to accomplish? When I first... Uh, became a PhD student in fashion studies in 2008. People were, I think, mesmerized by the glamour surface of uh, fashion. They wanted to be part of uh, of a glamorous and fun world. Mm. And uh, it was very unsexy to talk about sustainability. It was boring. And uh, whenever there was a panel on sustainability at conferences, no one wanted to go because they, they just expected it to be filled with boring people. And... Uh, 
I know that uh, you know you would make fun of uh, of people who are like advocates for sustainability, but that's really shifted uh, that that kind of focus that was those kinds of uh, conversations that took place in the margins. Now they're at the core of uh, of the subject, and uh, when it comes to the students, I would say that. If in the past maybe one in ten was interested, or one in a hundred was interested in uh, in sustainability, now it's maybe ninety nine out of a hundred. Mm. So it's been a massive shift. Right, right. But they still search for it. So or they still, you know, apply for these educations. And and I think, you know, it should be said. It sounds almost when you, perhaps when you listen to this that fashion is a sort of an, a dying breed in a way. And that's very much not the case. It's the industry has been growing massively the past few years. Exactly. So it's not, but it's which kind of is part of the problem that we're discussing. But but. Yes, uh, and this is also some, something I just uh, spoke with uh, Benazaram about because uh, the industry has been growing, but there's been an, a decreased lack uh, when it comes to craftsmanship and mm. to uh, to textiles and and to the material dimensions of, of fashion. Because what's happened also in the in the past twenty uh, years, I would say, is of course that the internet has become a massive driving force in fashion. So it's not all, always about. Um, Uh, what you wear, but it's really about how you curate your Instagram feed, for example. So people don't really care about what happens to to the garments, and they're and they have been at least very unaware of the material consequences and the very real effects of uh, of uh, what it, what it takes to produce a pair of jeans, for example, or a T-shirt. Mm. And and I think that's what's changing now that people are starting to connect consumption with production and they're st- they're starting to realize that there is a cost behind uh, the garments that that you wear and you disp- dispose of right right so we've just uh, or we're just in the middle of of sort of fashion week season and just prior to to uh, starting this recording we were talking about how much we miss florence and going to to, to pitiomo uh, uh, even though you complained about it before and the travel times and uh, and so forth that's one of the things i really miss about uh, about being uh, in this in this sort of uh, pandemic with the lack of movement uh, Looking at the sort of fashion week system, is this something that you reflect upon and, and view? How, how do you think the, the, you know you see it go more digital? Are you are you taking part of it? Are you reflecting on it? Well, I mean, I, I can of course see that there are attempts made to 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 make these institutions, these fashion weeks, and these fashion fairs uh, to have a continued relevance, even though there's a, a pandemic and you can't really be on site. Uh, and uh, according to a lot of theory on fashion, there is a need for these kinds of rituals from these institutions, because that's where garments are. Um, charge with the value of fashion. Right. Uh, that's where they become magical, so to speak, and, and not just you know these objects of function, but you know they get this added value, which of course also means that you can uh, uh, add uh, you know add a charge to mm, <laughs> to, mm. to the products. But uh, I would say that there is at least when it comes to to the Swedish Fashion Week, which was struggling even before. I'm not really sure that there is a need for for fashion week i mean for people who work in swedish fashion there is uh, I, i would say it's nice because you, you you meet your peers and you meet your colleagues but i'm not really sure if it makes sense from a business point of view uh, to have it I, i i'm sure that many of these brands would fare well also without 
Fashion Week. Right. Because right. the exposure that you before got or you gained through Fashion Week, today you, you can you can get that through a collaboration with an influencer. Because what you actually need is is brand exposure. Hmm. And uh, I'm not really sure that for the younger younger generation. The fashion week is where you go to to look for for news. I think you can get that through other news outlets. There was uh, one quote I can't remember the exact quote in the article. You you, you mentioned that there's there's really nothing that says we need this stuff, or or there's not like a natural law that says we we need fashion or we need this has to be part of our culture. And and I thought that was really interesting. And I think this is something that. It's perhaps difficult, but at least at least for people in the fashion industry to to get get a hold of in a way. So this, which is a sort of part of the identity crisis, also, you know, yes. are we actually unnecessary? In <laughs> I know, uh, no, uh, I think in the article it was really about uh, because in consumer culture theory they talk about there are actually two driving forces behind a purchase. It's either mm. it's a want or it's a need, mm. and oftentimes, of course, these are intertwined. Uh, I need a new winter jacket because I live in Stockholm, but I, I want a Montclair uh, winter jacket. Uh, so it's um, it's a mix, so to speak. Um, but uh, I think maybe a year or two years ago, I came out with this book where I had interviewed maybe, I think, 40 people who worked in, um, in Swedish fashion. And I asked them two really simple questions. One is, uh, what you do for a living? And the second one was, why do you do what you do for a living? And it was quite interesting because I remember uh, specifically one fashion photographer who said that he always had to convince himself that what he did was relevant mm. because uh, he needed to, to justify it somehow to himself for, for it to, to make sense. Because, of course, we all work, to, you know, to to pay our mortgage or, you know, uh, to pay for our, our kids' educations. But uh, we also need, I think, to feel it more relevant on an existential level. That, uh, that we contribute somehow to society. And when we continue to, to promote things that aren't really necessary, or even worse, when we promote things that we know are bad for the environment, that, mm. will, that will really mess up the future of the next generation, that we still do because we want to afford um, a new vacation to the Maldives. Uh, I think that's been uh, really difficult for people who work in fashion because people who work in fashion also read the news. They're also aware of the climate crisis and so forth. So it's been really difficult, I think, for many people to to combine the awareness of uh, the climate change with the fact that they're also contributing to, to accelerating it. Yeah, I think there's a really harsh awakening for for people when it comes to this uh, um, sort of notion of sustainability and, and awareness around it especially you know I think you know 20 years ago I think you, perhaps you saw fashion as this kind of kind of innocent thing you know it's kind of banal it was kind of superficial and and didn't really have that type of impact on society and and as it grew, grew we realized it had a, an enormous you know cultural impact but also this this harm on the planet. Um, can we look at it from from a different perspective? What do fashion do that's unique to fashion? Is there something that fashion does that that's really positive that no other industry can 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 do? Yes, I think so. Uh, because I mean, of course, we express our sense of uh, identity through a number of outlets. Uh, how we decorate our homes mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, 
what we do for a living or you know what we eat or what we drink all of these things are part of uh, how we communicate our sense of belonging and our identity but uh, fashion through garments it's it's what we wear it's it's part of almost our bodily expression so when we meet other people even before we open our mouth, our mouth to speak uh, what we wear has already communicated a number of things to other people so so fashion tells uh, our story to other people in a wordless way so it's it's very poetic and it's very direct and it's it's uh, it uh, makes us part of of a culture even though we don't always even know the other people but we can mm. recognize people in the street and we can know that we share a sense of aesthetics or we have a shared interest so fashion brings people together in an immediate way because not everyone knows what we eat or uh, where we live and or how we decorate our homes but fashion through the garments that we wear on our bodies it's instant so it's very direct so fashion has an enormous power in that sense there's also a certain scale it has reached which i think is fascinating if you look at the 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 personalities that has the most reach on the social platforms mm. for instance these are personalities that are you know fashion models or you know they have their own brands or you know if if they hadn't already they create them because they have this sort of massive ma- massive reach and and i always like to when talking about sustainability with 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 people it's so easy to kind of shame the big players and the fast fashion and so forth and of course it's part of of the problem but it's also like you know if you want to change it you need to change it at scale as well so even though there's a new you know cute little brand coming up with a a few employees doing everything right from a sustainability standpoint it's it's almost like it has no effect in in any ways it has a worse effect because it, it adds to the industry and it has very little scale in terms of, mm. of practice right yes. so what do you see uh, that you know is good on a on a on a more, more massive level is, is is there any initiatives and things that are happening or or should happen to prevent the the the, the sort of environmental damage this is an excellent question because i think for many people they have this very simplistic view of what's right and what's wrong when it comes to sustainable fashion and when they see uh, the small cute little brand uh, they think oh that's good practice and then mm. when they see the big global brand that's bad practice but of course if we're actually aiming for systemic change it, it really needs to be on a global level and then of course it, it, it needs to happen with the global brand and you know we're in sweden and here people love to complain about h&m but why do people complain about h&m because they're transparent about the problem and they're trans- and they're transparent about the ways they're trying to fix it and, and to to find solutions and also they were they're honest in saying that we do a lot of things wrong but we're trying to do a few things right because if you if you compare h&m with other brands on a similar scale that don't communicate on these uh, matters uh, they don't uh, receive the same kind of criticism and that's that's because they're not engaging in the conversation mm. so actually i think we should commend h&m for for engaging in this conversation and we should um how should i say we should um encourage them to continue instead of uh, saying all right so you've done five percent but what about the the uh, the remaining 95 percent well we're getting there but it has to happen on that scale and we need to work with h&m not against them because through that kind of uh, infrastructure that's where we have possibility for real change 
Even though, of course, I really like the small cube brand as well. <laughs> well, don't we all? Uh, so how, how come you got into this? What, what was your in- incentives and, and, and drivers in the beginning? Into fashion or sustainability? Yeah, into, 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 fashion. into fashion. Well, it's strange. Uh, I, I was quite surprised when it happened. Uh, I thought, as young people often do, that I, that I knew what my future would look like. And, uh, and I decided that I wanted to work with literature. And so I went to university and, and I studied literature. And uh, I found myself so bored. I sat in these seminar rooms and I destructed, uh, deconstructed um, poetry in group. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, this can't be my life. And I was so surprised <laughs> at this reaction because I thought that that was actually what I wanted right. to do. And so I started to to cut school. Uh, I love to cut school. And uh, I sat at home and I thought, so what was it that attracted me to literature and then what happened? So I thought, well, what I like about literature is that it's about communication and it's about aesthetics. Really, it's about uh, viewing aesthetics as a form of, com- of communication. But what I really didn't like was how detached it was from lived reality and from people's everyday experiences. So then I started to think about, well, where could I then combine aesthetics with you know, everyday life? Of course, art has the same problem as literature, and so does film. But then I thought of, uh, of fashion, and I realized that... Uh, there that that was where the, those interests interests intersected mm. but at the time you couldn't apply for fashion studies it didn't exist as um, as a discipline so um, i studied ethnology and sociology and every time i, I could uh, decide for myself what i wanted to to look at i chose to look at at fashion and then the summer after i finished my ma i met someone who told me that they were planning to uh, to launch this new subject at Stockholm University, and he called it fashion studies, and that was the first time I heard the combination of fashion and studies, and something clicked in me, and I and I thought, oh, that's where I want to be. Hmm. But of course, many times since then, that was in two thousand and four, I think, that I first heard the combination of fashion and studies. So many times since then, I've. I've doubted if this is what I want to do. I think it's uh, good for people to do different things in life. And I've been doing this for quite some time. And um, especially now when I think fashion is really uh, losing its identity or, you know, losing its sense of direction. I've been wondering what to do. But I think also that that doubt could be a good driving force because that helps me to keep formulating new questions. All right, so then how can fashion be relevant in the future? How can we develop new business ideas and how can we uh, look at supply chains in a new way that that respects fashion as this cultural force, but at the same time doesn't really follow these antiquated uh, systems that we've had so far? Well, and just to add to that, I think perhaps the the you are needed more than ever to have this sort of a critical intellectual perspective on it. So, so uh, please do stick around. <laughs> and thankfully, that's also uh, the answer that I can tell the students. Yes, uh, fashion is in a crisis, but that's also why we need uh, new voices and new cri- uh, critical minds. So that's uh, also why they shouldn't just drop out of school, but actually uh, finish their education. Right. Because right. I think uh, the, the perspectives of the new generation is, is really needed as well. D- don't cut school. 
Um, what has has there what 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 has been the uh, a, a great fashion experience in your life? Pitiomo. Pitiomo. Yes. Uh, even though, of course, it's it's a nightmare to get to Florence. Uh, many times I, I thought that I would die, <laughs> either uh, landing or, or taking off from uh, the Florence airport. It's really a, a near-death experience. Being in that setting and seeing that kind of creativity and that energy and that curiosity when it comes to really pushing the boundaries of what fashion can be and what menswear is, I, I think that's really a gift. Agreed, agreed, and and uh, I agree on on getting there. It's it's uh, horrendous, but man, do I miss it? Yes. Do I miss it? Philip uh, Arkander, uh, thank you so much for for speaking to me, and let's continue this conversation. Let's. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olson. This show was edited by Eric Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to ScandinavianMind.com to become part of our movement.